You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1106 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night on a Saturday into Sunday. And thank you, as always, for making this podcast, the Lots on Hawks podcast, your first listen each and every day. Follow us on all podcast platforms. Subscribe today. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Today's podcast will be a breakdown of what became a pretty lopsided defeat, actually, for the Atlanta Hawks in Philadelphia. A contest that was competitive for, I would say, a fairly large portion of the game. But in the second half, it got away from the Hawks in a big way on the way to a 122-94 loss for Atlanta. Disappointing, to say the least, over the weekend. Uh, I'm sure that at least some Hawks fans maybe didn't see all of this one because of the Braves game and it's a Saturday night, all that fun stuff. But it got non-competitive down the stretch. We'll break it all down. But this is uh, the return, of course, for Atlanta to Philadelphia after winning three times at Wells Fargo Center last year in the playoffs, but none of those vibes were around on this one, and it was a, a double-digit deficit for most of the way on the way to this blowout loss. So we'll get into all of it, as we always do, probably a little bit shorter on this podcast, considering how lopsided it was. The fourth quarter was kind of a cross-off for the most part, but still some stuff to get into, as you might expect. Um, Philadelphia was 3-2 and two coming into the night um, after a win that they got also on Thursday, and both teams were relatively healthy. The Hawks were very healthy, once again. Bogdanovich was probable with a right ankle issue, um, ended up playing, ended up playing pretty well, actually. One of the only bright spots of the night, I thought, was Bogdanovich. So only Akongwu was out of the lineup for the Hawks. Uh, ben Simmons, of course, is still out for Philadelphia with all of those things going on with, with that situation. Uh, but Joel Embiid was questionable with a knee soreness, ended up being um, active for this game. Didn't play a ton, played 30 minutes. Looked pretty good, but, you know, one of those things where they were largely themselves, other than the Simmons uh, stuff that's going on. Um you know, on paper, the Hawks were underdogs, actually, in this game for the first time all season. Shouts to Bob Raffin for pointing that out to me before I could even look it up this morning in advance of the game. But our friends at BetOnline.ag opened with the Hawks as three-point underdogs. It actually went up to three-and-a-half points once MB was ruled in. So the Hawks, even at full strength, uh, at least according to the market, were seen as underdogs on the road here, and that ended up being, I guess, prescient to the result. But we'll get into all of it, but you know, as a top-line exercise here at the top of the podcast – it's sort of in the headline of this podcast as well, the title. Um, the offense was the problem here, all the way up and down. Even the defensive numbers that were not good, I thought were much more of a product of the offense being what I can only describe as terrible in this game. And we'll get into all of the reasons why, but by the numbers, it was very, very ugly for the Hawks offensively. That kind of led to some transition stuff for Philadelphia. That spurred some easy buckets. Some turnovers were bad for the Hawks, etc. So a perfect storm of... Uh, Ugliness, we'll say again, uh, as sort of the overall thought on this one. But you want to overreact. It's only six game of the season. The Hawks are still three and three. It hasn't been a full fledged disaster, but the offense is not looking the way that we all thought it probably would at this point in time. So that's sort of the uh, short version at the end of November, uh, October here, I should say. But we'll dive into all of what transpired in this game in a moment. Before we do, though, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is Indeed. Right now, the job market is filled with once-in-a-generation talent. So how is your organization going to put together an all-star team? Your front office needs an all-star roster, and you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, which is a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible, because you can do it all from attract, interview, and hire, all at Indeed. 
Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now, and they can also partner with you on every step of the hiring process to find talent with the skills that you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. And with Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor the job post, according to Indeed data. And candidates you can invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those they can only see in the search, according to Indeed data. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked on. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked on. Indeed.com slash locked on. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's podcast is also sponsored by DirecTV. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all of the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like they've never been before, so you can watch your favorite shows, movies, and sports all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So you can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, we'll dive in now to the game flow in this one. And honestly, it was never great, but the uh, the early going kind of was a microcosm of what was to come. There was some booing going on in Philadelphia for the Hawks, of course, as you might expect, in a uh, building where they won a series last year. Um, Trey shot an air ball that people seem to enjoy in Philadelphia, but it's kind of an uneven start early on. Both teams struggling to score. The Hawks did find some mismatched stuff with um, DeAndre Hunter being guarded by Seth Curry, sort of in the same way that uh, Kevin Herter did against Seth Curry in the playoff series. He drew fouls on him all night long, actually got two quickly in the first quarter, but um, hit a couple jump shots over him, but they were pretty tough shots, and it's kind of... What was to come, because the Hawks, basically, the theme of the Hawks for me in this game was just way too many mid-range shots, too many t- difficult two-point attempts, and uh, those went in, but it actually was not the greatest process, and I, they probably could have attacked him in a different way than that, but sort of uh, leads into what's going to be transpiring the rest of the way. Um, the Sixers, though, built things up from there. It was actually a 19-6 to overall start for Philadelphia. The Hawks scored six points in almost nine minutes, which is uh, very, very bad if you do the math on that. They were 3 of 16 from the floor with two turnovers only, which is not too, too bad, but defended well. I thought they played pretty good defense, actually, in the early going, but the offense was just kind of uh, listless. Philly got loose for a couple threes to break it open a little bit during that run, and Trey got a technical foul for waving off the ref after he was called for a foul. Some, some frustration stuff there. Um, rotationally, they did the usual stuff for the most part in this game. It was Reddish and Herter as the first subs. Red, uh, Cam actually had a couple of offensive plays that were very uh, useful. He actually had seven quick points in the first half. Um, really one of the only bright spots in the first half of this game for the Hawks. Uh, they br- and then they brought in Gallinari with Lou Williams, and Lou ended up playing the backup point guard role exclusively in this game. DeLon Wright came in for garbage time, but it was all Lou. Um, that pivot kind of happened in the middle of the previous game when they went to Lou. I'm not sure if it's going to happen moving forward. People were asking me about this. You know, by the time they brought Lou in, they were down double figures. Maybe he was just kind of going to the guy who was going to bring them some offensive juice. 
or maybe it was a plan. I'm not really sure. Maybe matchup-wise, you know, this is not a bad night for Lou to play a lot in, on paper because they don't have anybody that's going to really take advantage of him defensively. Um, Philadelphia, particularly right now without Ben Simmons, does not have a bunch of guards that you're really terrified of just, like, lighting Lou up, which might be a good spot to play your offense first backup guard. But I'm all just speculating on that. I'm not sure where they are on that at this point in time. But it was Lou. Uh, actually, a nice little start Lou did. Um, and uh, Gallo, though, got a flagrant a flagrant foul for tripping Matisse Teibel in a runout. Uh, that was kind of the only thing that was notable about his early, early uh, night performance. But Philadelphia, at one point, was leading by 15 points in the first quarter. It was 26-11, middle of the quarter. Philadelphia was up 15 in the first quarter, again, while shooting 32% from the floor. It is very difficult to be up 15 points shooting that poorly from the floor that quickly, but it happened because of all of the Hawks' missteps, and the Hawks were down by 13 at the end of the first quarter, despite um, Philadelphia's uneven shooting. The Hawks were 6-22 from the floor, and non-Cam Reddish guys on the Hawks roster were 3-18 of in the first quarter. They finally got to the line for the first time in the entire game at the, in the last minute of the first quarter. They had five turnovers. That's too many for a period. A 66 offensive rating in the first quarter for Atlanta. Uh, defensively, it wasn't too, too bad, but uh, it doesn't, doesn't really matter if you just can't score and can't uh, be efficient offensively really at all. Um, in the second, half, second quarter, I should say, was their best quarter of the night overall by a fairly wide margin on the offensive end of the floor. It was their only above average or even average quarter offensively in the game. I started out with a bench, um, full bench unit. Lou had a three to get actually down to 10 points. Um, but after a strong start, Reddish kind of had a, uh, his night derailed for a little while by, by Tybal. He got two jumpers blocked in a row by Tybal and also missed a layup in transition. Uh, the offense, though, overall was a little bit better. The starters came back in after a full line change at a timeout, and they were getting offensive rebounds. They had 10 of those in the first 18 minutes. They were actually really, really strong in the offensive glass in this game. They had a 6-0 run to get the lead down to single digits at one point. A nice pass by Trey Young to Bogdanovich in transition to prompt a timeout. The Hawks were making threes as well. They were 4-8 of eight from three in the early going, but um, some missed opportunities. Trey Young missed a couple of free throws after he drew a foul on a jump shot. Bogey had a three after that, but um, I circle this. I'm not sure it would have really, really mattered um, in terms of the final result, but the Hawks may have let, let go of the rope a little bit at the end of the first half. So they were down seven with about 90 seconds to go in the first half, which is totally fine. After as bad as, it, as, bad as they played, they were right in the game, down seven. Um, then Philly hit a three. Then Trey turned it over. Then Capella fouled Harris on a dunk attempt. That was his third foul and probably should have just allowed the points at that point in time. Harris made both free throws. Um, then they had an empty trip offensively. Harris scored again. And then an edge trip again. So a 7-0 run by Philadelphia in the final 75 seconds or so of the first half. And the lead goes from Hawks down 7 to Hawks down 14. And 14 versus 7 at the half is just a wide gulf. So uh, that was a missed opportunity in a big way. Um, this is sort of a preview of what's to come in our final takeaway section. But the first half numbers kind of paint the picture, honestly. The Hawks were sub-100 on offense which is kind of hard to do. They were 5-9 from 3, which is good, but just not a lot of volume there. They had 10 turnovers in the first half. Um, they shot 32% on two-point attempts before halftime. They took 28 non-rim two-point attempts. So basically, um, there are different quadrants you can sort of divide the court into, and cleaning the glass is a useful service that I always uh, reference on the podcast. They break it into... Rim attempts, which is basically restricted area right around the rim. Then you have uh, sort of short mid range, that kind of floater range type, and then you have you know the mid to, mid to long um, two point attempts. The Hawks were, again, they were six of twenty eight on two point attempts. So these are all inside inside the three point line, but not at the rim, like not layup range. That's 
both a ton of volume, like way, way, way too many shots from that range, and also terrible shooting on top of that. So you cannot take more than half of your shots from that range, which the Hawks were doing in this game, and actually have a good offense long-term. And when you compare that to nine three-point attempts and seven free-throw attempts, that's a bad, bad ratio. Um, defensively, the numbers were not great in the first half, but Philly didn't shoot it crazy well. They had a lot of points in the paint. That's a line of 14 times, but honestly, if you look at the numbers um, and at a more granular level, the Hawks were pretty good in half-court defense in the first half. It's just that transition killed them, and that was really as a result of the offense um, faltering. The 10 turnovers, the you know missed shot after missed shot um, will lead you to some negative opportunities defensively, and that kind of happened in this game. They were not great in transition. I will say that right, right away. The Hawks were not good uh, in terms of their uh, you know changing ends and making assignments and all that stuff, but that was kind of uh, the bigger issue in my mind. Um, the third quarter got out of hand fairly early. There was one little pushback from the Hawks. Um, first, there was a 9-1 run by Philadelphia to go up by 20. That was their largest episode of the night. The Hawks had five points in like three and a half minutes to start. Um, more bad offense, obviously. Um, the Hawks did have their one answer with a 6-0 run, but uh, that was Bogey getting settled in a little bit and then a layup by Hunter to get back to 14 points. That was as close as they got the rest of the night, though. It was, it was that 14. I circled that. Because um, then from there, it was a long run. I'm not even sure it was a run, more of a spurt, however you want to say that. Philadelphia had a 9-2 extended run to go back up by 22. The Hawks just couldn't score in that stretch. Four fouls on Capella in that in that range as well. Some missed miss opportunities, to be sure. That's a pretty good looks. And then they lost Seth Curry for a three, and that was kind of that. Um, Heard it hit a three, and then Cam had a nice drive late in the first, late in the third quarter, I should say, but didn't really make a dent in the uh, in the numbers. They were still down by 20 at the end of the third. And Philadelphia had their best offensive quarter, I thought, in the half court in the third, honestly, of the quarters that actually mattered. Um, they shot 61% from the floor, had eight assists in the third quarter, and the Hawks just could not make shots. And then the fourth quarter, it was kind of just garbage time for the most part. I mean, the, the run never came. Philadelphia ended up scoring 33 points in the fourth quarter, but um, nothing really doing. It was the bench was struggling. They brought the starters back in um, in waves with about nine minutes to go, then eight minutes to go. It was in that 20 to 25 range that entire time. There were some ugly turnovers in the fourth quarter. Matisse Teibel, um, who is, to be fair, one of the best defensive players in the league in terms of his creation havoc and all that, but he had four steals and three blocks in 22 minutes, and honestly, that felt low. Like, he was all over the place, giving the Hawks all kinds of fits um, offensively in this game. The Hawks scored eight points in the first six minutes of the fourth quarter, so if they had a run, that was not going to be coming when you couldn't score. And then with about five minutes to go, they emptied the bench, went with uh, DeLon Wright, Skylar Mays, TLC, Jalen Johnson, and Gorgie Jane the rest of the way. The one highlight was a Jalen Johnson dunk with about four minutes to go, but other than that, not a whole lot to say there. I should add this before we get into the breakdowns of what transpired on the podcast and all of that stuff. Um, it is uh, notable to me that the Hawks actually made Sharif Cooper inactive. I'm not sure how much that actually matters, but just for the background, because Okongwu is the only one that is injured on the Hawks roster right now, the Hawks have 17 guys. So they have 15 guys on full contracts plus the two two-ways of Cooper and Mays. So they have 17 guys that can dress on any night. But you can only have 15 active players on any, any, any given game. So with only one injury... They have to actually choose who is inactive. And because of the two-way rules, you know, two-way guys this year can only be active for 50 games total um, each. Uh, that's a maximum. So it would only make sense to have one of those guys inactive if you're making a choice because you, those guys actually have caps. So basically you're choosing between Cooper and Mays, and it didn't really matter, of course. But just as a point of reference, I tweeted this out as well. If you're wondering why, why Sharif was not playing, 
in garbage time is because Sharif was not active in this game. He was not actually in uniform, couldn't be in uniform. So I'm not sure what the process is on that side for the Hawks making that decision, nor does it really matter a whole lot. But if you're uh, wondering that or wondering why Sharif's not in the rotation and all that stuff, I, get, uh, I think every day or so I could probably get a question about Sharif not playing. Um, it seems like he's even behind Mays in, in some respects with regard to uh, putting together uh, some of that stuff. So um, at any rate, that is that for now, and we'll leave it right there. Um, before we get into the rest of the podcast and uh, a lot more to get to in terms of takeaways, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is Built Bar. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good, and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty, and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein, the calorie range is 130 to 180, they only have 4 or 5 grams of sugar, and they only have 4 or 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board, they're all tasty, and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, you're 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. So, as we talked about earlier with regard to the first half, the offensive stuff in this game was just very obvious to me. Um, obviously, you know, there's, I have the benefit of some stats as well, but the I test everything kind of plays into this, and the Hawks just took bad shots. The Hawks had bad shot selection. They had a bad shot profile in this game. And, yes, they could have made more. They probably will make more than they did in terms of um, if you simulated this exact shot profile over and over again, they would have made more shots than this. But the process was just not good in this game. So 38% on twos is very, very bad. Um, 36% on threes is fine. That's totally, you know, average or maybe even slightly above average. Um, 24 assists, but 19 turnovers. That's a bad number as well. 36 points in the paint is below average. Um, they did have 20 offensive rebounds in this game, which is a ton, but only 19 points off of them, which is below average in terms of per offensive rebound, what you would expect. And overall, they had a sub-100 offensive rating, which is brutal. Like, you know, the worst teams in the league don't score that little in terms of a uh, baseline. So, cleaning the glass, again, which I referenced earlier, had the Hawks taking 52 of those non-paint two-point attempts. 52. That is a sky-high figure, you know, 100th percentile kind of number with regard to, you know, how many of those shots a team takes over the course of a game. And that's one number where, if you do the math on it, long twos or even mid-range twos are not shots that you want to take a ton of. Um, even if they're, I mean, yes, it's different. If it's, if it's Trey Young shooting a wide-open long two, he's going to make a lot of those. Or Bogdanovich or Gallinari. I, I totally get They actually have some guys who can make, who can make long twos. It's, not, it's not, not really about that. It's the quality of shots. And they also shot 25%. They were 13 and 52. Um, as I said a second ago, you won't miss that many on a normal basis, so it won't always be this flagrant. But 52 attempts is really the bigger problem, especially with only 22 threes. Um, that ratio is not what you want in the modern game, um, quite frankly. And then 19 free throws is like a decent number, but the Hawks are still not getting the line like they were in previous you know, iterations. Last year they were a top five team in the league in free throw attempts. You know, Trey Young gave some actually pretty cool and I thought um, responsible and on-point comments after Thursday's game about the way he's being officiated. It's not just him either. 
And, you know, if you look at the numbers, Trey has not gotten, not gotten the line as much either. He took four in this game, which is, you know, four in one night is not like a, you know, a freakout event. But he also is the number one driver along with Capella of free throw attempts on this team the last couple of years. And, you know, that's just one little thing. But offensively, the the, pro, the profile of 52 shots in non-rim situations from two, 22 threes, 19 free throw attempts, and then 19 turnovers, that's all just a – Really bad. And Philly is good defensively, for sure. But without Simmons, they're playing a lot of like less capable defensive lineups. Not that they're going to be bad with Embiid around especially, but they're playing Maxi and Curry together. And they're playing, you know, when Ty was out there, yeah, they're, they're kind of terrifying. But they have some more, um, let's say, vulnerable defensive lineups than they have in years past. And uh, the Hawks are going to have to take advantage of this game. Maybe Millen talked about a lot of things in his post game. Some of which are definitely coach-speak things that he says all the time, but talks about a lack of chemistry that he saw offensively, the connectivity. He's the word that he used quite a bit, um, the lack of that, I should say. He did talk about the transition defense issues, but he was lamenting some one-pass possessions and some shot selection things, and I definitely agree with that. Bailing out the defense is the way that he described that as well, and that's true in my mind. They, they, they let the Sixers off the hook a bunch in this game offensively, so it's a one-off, but you know, with the way the Hawks have been playing offense so far through six games, um, I am at least mildly concerned about the offense. Um, not in a way that's I'm not, I'm not pulling my hair out, but through six games, the Hawks are, I believe, 14th or 15th in offense, which doesn't seem that bad, um, but they're scoring about 106 points per 100 possessions, and for a full season last year, that, that would have been 28th. So offense is way down so far in the early going, but uh, last year the Hawks were ninth in the league, but they were scoring about eight more points per 100 possessions uh, at 114 or so. So I don't know where the baseline is going to land this year with, with the new foul rules and all that stuff. I'm sure the offense might be down a little bit, but offensively the Hawks are not playing where they need to be playing at this point. Uh, defensively, Philadelphia ended up with about a 121 offensive rating in this game, and that's obviously not good. Um, as I said before, I think some of the issues can be tied to the Hawks' offense causing damage with turnovers and misses that led to easy buckets on the floor. Um I do think, though, the Hawks were not good, capital G, good defensively in this game. They were not that. They were probably just okay, maybe even slightly below average. But um, the Sixers had 92nd percentile transition frequency in this game. That's a ton of transition shots. And they scored about 1.6 points per possession on those, which is also very, very good. So the numbers don't look good for the defense. But if you look at, if you watch the game back, as, you know, as I always do, it was uh, not the best offense. And uh, I would say you know, more like middling defense. Not great. But offense is the uh, certainly the bigger issue in this game for me. Before we get out of here, I'll quickly run through the player stuff. And honestly, spoiler alert, no one played particularly well in my mind. Um, Kevin Herter has still been very quiet in the early going. One of five from the floor. Did, did a three in the second half, a three assists and five rebounds. But he's not played quite at his level that he was playing at last year. Uh, Lou Williams was Lou Williams. Actually, had a couple nice moments offensively, but didn't add too much more than that. Gorgie Jang was uh, solid enough. Seven rebounds in 20 minutes. Had two points as well. I thought he was okay, but didn't shoot it great and just you know, was kind of out there for the most part. Uh, Cam Reddish had 16 points, and I thought his first stint was really good. I think he had seven points, maybe nine points in his first stint. He was not great after that. Uh, a couple of uh, you know forces against Tybalt that ended up being blocked, a couple of missed layups uh, along the way. Um, still in the, you know, I think he has now 
after tonight, I think it's five assists and 12 turnovers so far in six games. That's not going to work for a wing that has the ball in his hands a decent amount. But he shot the ball okay. Um, 16 points on 14 shooting possessions is totally fine. He was five of nine on twos. He'll take that all day long. Two of five on threes, take that as well. So the efficiency was fine. It was just that he, you know, he was minus 20. And then offensively, you know, kind of decision-making stuff. But he was at least one of the brighter spots, I will say, on the, in this game, despite the uh, lack of assists and all that stuff. Um, Starter-wise... It was really Bogdanovich was the only guy I would say played well or even reasonably well compared to their normal baseline. We'll save it for the end, I guess. John Collins had, Collins had his worst game of the season. He has been great. He's been probably the guy who has been playing the best um, compared to their normal baseline of the starters so far. He's been awesome. But until tonight, uh, he had 8.7 rebounds, did have two steals and three assists, but minus 22, three of nine from the floor, just didn't do a whole lot offensively or defensively in this game. Um, DeAndre Hunter was quiet. Um, they went to him early against Curry, but other than that, he was pretty non-existent and actually didn't play very much in the second half. They actually stuck with Reddish for a while over him in the third quarter, which I'm okay with um, based on the game flow and the way that he was playing. Um, Capella, still not playing all that well in my mind. Did have 12 rebounds in 28, 28 minutes, but uh, he has not been the same guy he was last year. That is going to be a problem for the Hawks if it's not if it doesn't improve. I'm I'm not worried again yet. It's six games, but they need Capella to be the Capella from last season to reach their goals. They also paid him an extension in the offseason, which is also worth remembering at this point in time. And not that he's been bad; he's still been a starting caliber center. But last year he was very, very, very good. As I as I sort of made made pains to point out last season how good he was on both ends of the floor, but especially defensively. And uh, uh, this year it's not quite been the same. Um, Rebounding-wise, uh, defensively on the glass, not been the same. Um, rim protection-wise, mobility-wise, all that stuff, not quite his best. Uh, Trey Young was not good in this game by his standards. Again, obviously his standards are sky high, but 13 points, 10 assists, but 5-16 from the floor, 2-4 of four from the free throw line, 1-4 from three. Um, you know, he didn't do anything, like, terrible. but And the playmaking is definitely real always with Trey, but uh, not his most, um, you know, sort of diverse and effective self offensively. And then the one bright spot, I want to make sure I have something bright spottish other than Cam Reddish, who did, who did play well, um, was Bogdanovich, who had been struggling and didn't have this like robust game, had 13 points in 29 minutes, but actually only took 11 shots, 6 of 11 from the floor, 1 of 1 from 3, 4 rebounds, did have 2 steals and an assist. Just kind of showed some more life offensively. Um, I'm grasping at straws, if you can't tell, on the podcast, because it was kind of a normal bogey game, but he had been struggling, so it qualifies as a much better game in a lot of respects, and he was just kind of rock solid in a way that most guys were not on this night. So you might expect this, but when the Hawks lose by, you know, 28 and trail by 30-plus, they're not a whole lot of bright spots, and, you know, Philly's pretty good, so it's not like the worst thing in the world to lose to them, but through six games... 6-6 Six and six is not what you wanted, particularly with the schedule that's coming up. I talked about it on the last podcast. Uh, I guess I'll do it one more time here because it's going to kind of begin. You know, I will say their next game is on Monday. Monday's game is the most favorable on paper for a while for Atlanta. So if there was urgency to get a win, I would circle Monday. Um, nothing's a must win or anything close to that in October or November at that point. It'll be November 1st on Monday. But if you want to get one and bank a win, that will be the one to get against Washington at home. Washington did just beat you on Thursday, and they're not a bad team at all. But in terms of on paper, that's the one. Because after that, uh, Wednesday at Brooklyn, who is not – the Nets are not playing great right now compared to what they thought they would be doing this year. But still, very, very talented team. That's an ESPN game, by the way. And then Thursday, with it's a back-to-back, you come home and play Utah, and Utah is obviously quite, quite good. Um, then you go to Phoenix, Golden State, Utah, and Denver on one road trip. 
no nights off on that one anyway. And, and that's also a West Coast trip, which is always a, a tough one for any team going east to west. And then they come home and play Milwaukee. So uh, nothing easy coming up for the Hawks and 3-3. Three and three, uh, You know, coming into the season, if you asked me to guess the team's record through six games, I would have either said 4-2 and two or 5-1. and one. Based on who they had on the agenda, they were they have been favored in five of six games. They were favored in the Dallas game narrowly and more lopsided wise in in the other five. And then this game was the first time they were underdogs. So if you go by Vegas, you know if you're favored in five of six, you're not going to win all five. So I would say the, the baseline projection was probably four and two through six games for the Hawks. So just that's just one loss more than you probably thought. But three and three does not feel like four and two. So we'll leave it there for now. But Monday's one to circle to be sure. They'll be back at home at State Farm Arena. I'll be in the building for that one. We'll talk all about it on the podcast. But hopefully that will be enough for today. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend or two or three about the show. Follow us on whichever podcast platform of your choice, uh, whether it be Spotify is a popular one I know, Apple Podcasts as well. And there are many, many others. But please go ahead and subscribe and tell a friend and review and rate and follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, as always. And we'll see you after the game on Monday evening.